You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing our series of Shirim on the inner world of recovering. And tonight is going to be, I believe it is the fourth Shir in the series. So we had the introduction, we had the focus on one moment itself being enough, each moment containing an eternity within itself, so that each moment has to be seen through the lens of fullness that whatever I accomplish in this moment is enough to rest myself on, to be proud of myself on, to find sustenance for myself. The third shear was how that momentary bliss associated with uncovering eternity within each and every moment of one moment at a time has to be held together with the secret of relativity, with the secret of erchen, with the recognition that the highest rung of the ladder is simply the lowest rung of the next system. So that in spite of the fact that yesterday was perfect, today has to be seen as the starting point, as if I haven't yet started. And when a person is able to be of those two nearly paradoxical notions of time awareness, on the one hand, each moment being an eternity, yet on the other hand, each moment simply being a preparation for a moment that is about to come that has not yet been, when we're able to unify those two perspectives together, a person is capable of living their entire lives in shuva. Now, what we're going to speak about tonight is going to be a bridge of sorts between the temporal awareness that needs to be cultivated when an individual goes along the pathway of tshuva, goes along the pathway of growth, and the future shirim where we speak about singular elements of growth-oriented steps with regards to the inner world of recovering. Tonight is going to be the liminal space wherein our awareness of time, our awareness of ourselves, undergoes a a, a movement through a particular lens of self-reflection necessary, in my humble opinion, as preparation for taking upon ourselves the next steps forward. And the notion that we're going to talk about tonight is our capacity to be our own storytellers. This is referred to psychologically. It began as an element, as a residual effect of postmodern philosophy, which was referred to as narrative therapy narrative psychotherapy, where the narrative of an individual's life became the site in which cure emerged. It was no longer with regards to what has happened to me externally. It was no longer with regards to what my psychosocial history had to say about me, but rather as a result of the cognitive revolution where the individual found both the problem and the potential towards a cure within their own consciousness, within their own minds, narrative therapy, beca- narrative therapy became the site where an individual was capable of retelling themselves the story of the self, reauthoring, so to speak, to borrow a language from that clinical perspective, reauthoring our own narratives, looking back on our path, looking back on the circumstances that have led us to be who we are in this moment, 
is in fact an attempt to reauthor, to become the narrator of our lives and to create that narrative which provides us with comfort and a beneficial push towards a growth-oriented future. Now, the idea of narrative therapy, of our capacity to tell our own stories, is more important and more essential when it comes to an individual who, when they look back on their lives, they see ruins, they see difficulty, they see struggle. We spoke so often about that haunting sense of afterwardness that is elicited at the moment of the Akedah. Rashi tells us what was this after? It was after the non-existent, existent conversation between the Satan and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, very similar to the conversation taking place between the Satan and HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the book of Eov. There was always something that takes place just beyond the horizon of the mind that lands us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And means that my consciousness in this moment, my self-awareness in this moment, as I stand, is not a standalone entity, but rather it is built upon previous experiences. When we look at life, when we look at reality, both are tied up inherently with the concepts of temporal process, time. The gra and our mekubalim and our poskim tell us that if a person wants to have a proper intention, with regards to the essential name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the four-letter name of Yudke Vavke, there needs to be two focuses, two intentions that a person holds in mind. Number one is the notion of Hove, of being, of Havaya, of existence, that which is. Yet on the other hand, the way that we appreciate and encounter being, which is barred, we are barred access to because of its elusive nature, the handles upon which we're capable of grabbing hold of that elusiveness of being is through the second definition of the Shem Havaya, which is Haya Hovev Yihia, that which was, that which is, and that will be, will be the past, the present, and the future. Haya represents that which was prior to the creation of the world, prior to our own experiences. Hova is where we find ourselves at this present moment. And Yihia is that which will take place in the future when things, as the Arizal tells us, revert back to the way that they were. So it's not that we are human beings who choose to encounter a concept of time. Human beings are always already caught up within the confines of time. We've spoken about this so often that time is both the birthplace of anxiety and it's also the birthplace of change. Without time, everything would be that which it is unchanging. So there would be no fear as to changing in a negative way, but there would also be no hope of the possibility of becoming more than what I am right now. And so time and our thrownness into time, our existence, our temporal subjectivity, which is formed by time awareness, is both the site of encountering being, and it's also the site of encountering how we as human beings are mitmodeid, how we face, how we contemplate, how we gaze unflinchingly into the depths of reality to try and come in contact with ourselves for but a moment. Generally speaking, when a person looks at their lives through the triadic structure of past, present, and future, so a person can also understand their own lives as a book, that each and every person is a book, and each and every person's life is an unfolding story, that which was 
are the beginning chapters that describe the origin process through which a person comes to be until the moment in this present moment. The presentness of the narrative is how I encounter myself in my awareness. And the future element or the end of the narrative is the arc which draws everything together. The narrative arc is what draws together all of the scattered moments of time awareness and experience in this world. And it shows us how the past led into the present, which gives birth to a future. Without narrative, without the capacity to tell ourselves the story of our lives, to be masaper to ourselves, what exactly has taken place, what is taking place, and what will hopefully take place, an individual's life is no longer a narrative, but scattered points of information. If I look at my life as nitsotsin, of, of sparks that are scattered without any connectivity, without any unity, without any formation or no systematicity to it, no framework containing all of those random sparks of experience. So then life is not only anxiety producing, but it is a function of anxiety. That scatteredness, that bewilderness that takes place when there's no connection between one piece to the other. This is true on a health level. This is true on a neurological level. This is true on an emotional level, as well as a spiritual level. If a person sees their lives as scattered moments of randomness that bear no connection one upon the other, then yes, a person can be mindful in the present, but no, a person has no context in which to view the significance of that moment. And we have spiritual paths that force us into the present moment, but create an absence of narrative structure that connects those moments, revealing a greater story at play. So the narrative structure of our lives is what allows us to hold on to a certain sense of connectivity between that which has happened to us, what we are in the present moment, and what we hope to be. Now, for a person who has never struggled for a person who has never tasted the severe, pungent experience of difficulty or struggle, which really isn't any type of person, it's just, it's not a question of whether a person has struggled or not, it's much more of a question of whether a person has paid attention enough and listened to that struggle and listened to that story being told of their own lives. But a person who has never felt the intensity of what it means to be human, when they look back on their past those earlier chapters of their lives. So there's nothing too difficult. There's nothing too ugly. There's nothing too stuck. And therefore, there's really no need to retell their story because they see the past part of their story as being one fell swoop with where they're at right now. And based on what they've experienced in the past and based on what they're experiencing right now, they rest assured about what the end of their story is going to be. Now, each and every person who lives a, an easy story like that, it, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean that there's no difficulty. It just means that they haven't looked deep enough. We've spoken about so often that when we talk about recovery, when we talk about addiction, it's not enough to apply these concepts to those who struggle while there's a category of people who do not struggle, but rather the goal of Pneumia Satora on a certain level is to reveal to us that these ideas apply to each and every one of us on our own relative register. Which means to say that in spite of the fact that person A versus person B might be worlds apart from one another and in relationship to the easy past of person A, 
the life of person B looks like it was a terrible struggle. Nevertheless, vis-a-vis -vis each person in and of themselves, if we pay attention enough, we can uncover the struggle in our own lives as well. So the lack of a need to understand our early story is not simply because life has gone easily. Life is never easy. Like we said in the name of the Ishbitzer Tzadikim, whose yard said it was on Shabbos, from Mordechai Yosef Liner of, of Ishbitz, that it would have been easier for the individual to have not been created than to have been created. But as the Ishbitzer points out, be very careful in understanding what the words of Chazal are saying. It does not say, it does not, God forbid, say that it would have been better or more valuable, or more essential, or more purposeful for a person to have not been created than to have been created. Rather, it says it would have been easier. Meaning to say that the first awareness, the first point of awareness that is necessary upon embarking on the path of delving into the depths of reality, of moving inwards, is the acknowledgement that things are difficult, that life is not meant to be something that feels necessarily comfortable. Rabbi Nassim of Nimerov, whose yard site it is tonight, on Asara Batevis, he teaches us that it's okay for a Jewish person to feel uncomfortable in the world because it's ever reminding us that we're not supposed to feel comfortable in this world. And so each and every person, if we gaze deeply enough and we look down to the past of our history, we can find that there's something difficult, there's something that I don't like looking at so much. Now, many people, when they look at their past, they're not aware of that, they ignore it, and there are those who are more aware, but what we're speaking about tonight is someone who looks back on their past narrative, who looks back on the story that has led them to where they are right now, and they see things that are hard to handle. They see processes, they see difficulties, they see struggles that were painful, that were difficult, that were ugly, that were hard not only hard for ourselves, but hard for other people as well. And so when a person tries to be chuzer b'tshuva and a person tries to take upon themselves the awareness that I need to change my narrative, I need to enter into the world of recovery, what we're first and foremost confronted with is our narrative past, what has happened in the past, because the past informs how we view ourselves. And if we view ourselves as people who are bad or broken or destructive in whatever form of destruction we were engaged in, in whatever form of tohu, of chaos that we were engaged in, we run the risk of allowing that sadness or despondency, God forbid, or loss of hope associated with our past experiences to melt and spill into the future, which is what we refer to as shame. It's what we refer to as this deep sense of shame over who I am and what I was in the past. Now, it is incredibly important to recognize that the word harata, regret, has two ways of being understood. There's one which is a sense of guilt, and there's one which is a sense of shame. The sense of guilt is essential to any process of return, to any process of recovering, because guilt at its core is a legalistic term. If a person wants to understand the dizzying notion of guilt, a person should read the stories of Rabbi Nachman, the, the dreams and the later stories with regards to a world that appears to not have any mishpat in it, as well as the writings of Kafka to understand what it means to live in a world where there's guilt. Guilt is a normal concept. Guilt is, guilt is a legal concept. It tells me that I am accountable and I am responsible for what I've done in the past. But there's another more dangerous, more insidious emotion that emerges when I contemplate my past, which is shame. 
And as the thinkers of nowadays tell us, the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt tells me I have done something bad and shame tells me I am something bad. Guilt drives me towards rectification. Guilt reminds me of what I have to fix. Shame, on the other hand, forces me to identify myself with the negative things about me. I am that bad action that I engaged in. I am that past history of my life that I can't ever scrub away. The Piazetz Nerebah Hashem Yom Kamdoma of Kalanimus Kalman Shapira tells us in words that, that no other tzaddik seems to have been capable of telling us. He writes this in one of the early entries to his diary, his, his, his holy, holy diary that was written in blood and tears. He tells us that, What does it mean that the wicked are filled with shame? That those who are wicked are filled with a sense of shame? And the Piazetz Nareba tells us as follows. He says, it's an axiom that we have to understand that human beings are incapable of paying attention to a particular emotion for an elongated period of time. So very often when we feel something and then it dissipates, our sense is that, oh wow, I must have worked through that emotion, when in truth it was just the inherent attention deficit that we all experience, which leads us to think about another emotion because we simply can't sit with that emotion for too long. And so what happens is a person engages in whatever they engage in, in the language of Rabbi Nassim and Rabbi Nachman, like we've spoken about so often, it's not about a specific place, but rather the general diffuse sense of falling. When a person falls to the place that they fall, because each and every person has a relative sense of falling, and wherever it is that we fell to, that encounter with the awareness of falling into that stuckness leads us towards a feeling of harata, towards a certain feeling of shame over where we have been or what we have done. And because that feeling of shame can't maintain itself because of the inherent attention deficit, that feeling, that emotion dissipates. And once it dissipates, we say to ourselves, oh, wow, I must have worked through it. I must have rectified what I needed to rectify. But in truth, I haven't rectified anything. I haven't been misboded with my past. I haven't gazed into it and understood the character defects that I need to rectify. My mind has simply been inattentive because it can't tolerate paying attention to that thing for so long. So Rishayim Malayim Haratos, the Piazetz Nareba tells us, means that the Rishayim are the ones who are filled with shame because they remain Rishayim. Shame does not do anything to alleviate us of our character defects. It gives us a sense of having worked through things because that negative feeling dissipated. But when we're capable of looking back on our lives and looking back on our past experiences that have led us towards the path of tshuva, we do run the risk sometimes of feeling overwhelmed, of judging ourselves unfavorably, of feeling, God forbid, that we have fallen to places that we can't get up from, of feeling that we have done such bad things, such negative things, such destructive things, that our souls are so sullied, that our minds are so caught up in the foreign ways of thinking, that our hope has finally fallen into a place of hopelessness, God forbid, which doesn't really exist. And we run the risk of falling into the pit of despair and thinking we can't change. But enter tshuva, and tshuva is quite literally the ability to rewrite our narrative, to retell our own story, to look back on our past, to look back on our experiences which seem futile and which seem shameful and which seem difficult and seem to keep us caught up in the ties of, of stuckness in the past. It is in truth our opportunity to write the script 
the neshama is endowed with the power of his chadshas. The neshama is endowed with the power of creativity. And this is what Rav Tzadok defines as the condition of Torah Shabal Peh. That Torah Shabal Peh is nothing but the conscious awareness of the Jewish soul in its lived experience. And the way I think, the way I choose to contemplate experience is not simply a random judgment that is insignificant and tied up with the randomness of my desires, but rather the way that a Jewish individual chooses to think about things has some sort of an ontological experience on those events themselves. By choosing to think differently about my past, by choosing to view my past in a different lens than I'm used to viewing it, it is not only that I alleviate the psychic discomfort of that fallen and broken past, but I actually am by contemplating the past in a positive way, I am actually elevating the past out of its brokenness and elevating it in to a space of comfort and pleasure. Now, our ability to look back on our past experiences does not mean to close the door on the negative experiences we've had, nor does it mean to lie to ourselves, God forbid. The point of the capacity of the Jewish individual to re-narrate their lives to themselves is not to ignore or suppress or repress the negative in some unhealthy form in some unhealthy defense mechanism that just wants to hide everything under the rug that ties the room together in our brains. That rug that ties the room together that holds all of our defects underneath it, that infinite abyss that can hold all of our character defects, that place that we never have to look towards, that's not what reanimating our narrative means. It doesn't mean that I close the door on who I was or I lie to myself about what I've done or where I was in my mind, in my heart, or in my body. It means that I relate to the past of my experience in a different way. I look towards those things, those past experiences of myself, and I understand them in a context of who I am nowadays. I am able to look at who I am now specifically in relationship to who I was in the past. On a personal note, I remember very vividly asking in Shana Aleph, this was one of probably the first questions I ever cared to ask, was the mashkiach and the yeshiva that I was in, who was a very special person in Mekubal, a student of Rav Moshe Shapiro's Skusli Yaganeleinu, whose yard site is also tonight on Asara Bateves, the same night as the yard site of Rabbi Nassan of Nimerov. And I asked him, Erev Yom Kippur, I said, when we say vidoy, and we say after all of the chataim, after all of the difficulty after all of that past that we're all struggling with, each and every one of us on our own relative level, we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Velo Shavelanu, and it wasn't worth it for us. Velo Shavelanu. All of those sins and inequities and difficulty and, and stuckness and distortion and chaos and, and struggle. We're saying to Hashem, Velo Shavelanu, it wasn't worth it for us. It was worthless to us. And I said to this Haredi Posek, I said, as a Shana Aleph kid, I said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could say that because my past experiences are things that have formed me. They were worthwhile to me. They were valuable to me. So how could we come to HaKadosh Baruch on Yom Kippur and say that our past is, is worthless to us and that theoretically we wish we could have done without it? I wouldn't be the person I am today, each person can say to themselves, without their past experiences. 
I remember the question, but I don't remember the answer. But nevertheless, the sentiment is that we build ourselves upon our past. So re-narrating our past is not undoing the things that have happened, but rather looking at those things in a new light. Now, this capacity for us to look back on our past and understand that in spite of the difficult nature that it had, it has driven us to where we are today, which gives us the capacity to reanimate ourselves towards our incoming future. This is the secret of what Chazal said when they say, that the Balchuva, the repentant, the person in the process of recovering, the person in the process of returning away from past experiences, has the capacity to uncover a deeper relationship with God, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with infinitude, with meaning, with purpose, with value, with essence, than someone who has never struggled in their past. Because there is an intensity that emerges. There is a, a strength, a ferocity of the spirit that is born out of being confined in places of darkness and the surging forth that that soul is capable of doing specifically by emerging out of darkness. This is what the Zohar HaKadosh refers to as the added or additional supplemental strength that is given to the Balchuva, who's capable of serving God with more intensity than the truly righteous individual. Arkadekach, and we spoke about this in the past, that the Mitla Rebbe, the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Admor HaImsoi has a kuntris, which is referred to based on the title of, uh, the title is based on a statement in the Zohar, that Mashiach Asyel Asve Tzadikai Betiyufta that Mashiach comes to help the truly righteous repent in tshuva. What does that mean? How could the truly righteous ever be forced to repent? They haven't sinned, they haven't fallen, they haven't transgressed, they haven't tasted that pungency, that pungency of difficulty of being stuck, of being lost, of being forlorn, of feeling cast away. They haven't tasted that intensity of keili kemi lama azuftani. They haven't tasted that potency of tohu. So what, it, what does it mean to bring them back in tshuva? So the Mitla Rebbe in about 80 or 90 pages explains that the goal is for the tzaddik themselves to be able to experience the benefit that the Baal tshuva has without ever having fallen. But again, what this highlights is the fact that the Baal tshuva, the person who's in the process of tshuva, on the path of tshuva, a person who is on the process of return, on that inward journey of recovering from whatever it is that they need to recover from, there's a certain added element to their experience because that past that we are emerging from, that avar, that which was, is so intense that we have to allow it to animate who we are. And it's our job to ensure that we're not overwhelmed by it, but rather we allow ourselves to reorient ourselves and create the narrative of our past. To look back on our past and from a past perspective, now this is not a present moment orientation, I cannot look at my failures in the moment that I'm experiencing them and say, this is what I need to be doing because Chazal have a very clear explanation of that. That's someone who transgresses and says that they'll do tshuva and there's no tshuva available for a person like that. But after the fact, retroactively, after a person has fallen to the place that they have fallen, after a person wakes up and they feel that they're a cockroach, after a person is experiencing the achare hadvarm ha'ila, after a person comes to and is aware of, oh my goodness, I'm so far. At that point, after the dust has settled already, it is imperative for us to no longer look at it as destructive, but rather to look at it as fundamental towards our subjective orientation as human beings in this present moment. 
that the path of tshuva, the path of recovering is an open-mindedness that allows us to look back on the darkness of the past with the light of the eyes of the present and to reanimate and to re-illuminate our experiences and to be able to say, oh my goodness, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, all of this was necessary. Every element of it was necessary. What I have chosen differently the Ishbitzer Tzadikim tell us very clearly and very often that the Medrash Chazal, which says that every Bria, every creation, every element of existence before its creation had a Yechidus with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, had a therapy session with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in that potential therapeutic session, so to speak, each and everything, each and every entity was shown everything that it would be forced to go through. Every difficulty, every pain, every hurt, every joy and every pleasure, every struggle and every success. And they were asked, do you agree to be created with this narrative? And each and every creation and each and every creature, which includes each and every one of us, we all agreed and we said, yes, we said it is worth it. Would it be easier to not be created? Most certainly. Would it be better? No. So we've accepted those narratives. And it's our job now to shine the light of the intellect, to shine the light of the neshama on the past so that the past is no longer something separate and apart from my present, which is looking towards a new future, but rather the past is the very thing that has led me towards the present, which is going to allow me to come to my unfolding future. This is the secret of tshuva. This is the secret of narrative. This is the secret of becoming authors of our own story. This is the secret of what Rabbi Nachman announced on a certain level. And when I say it's a secret, I certainly don't mean it's the only secret. There's an infinite amount of secrets. The amount of people who contemplate the words of the tzaddikim and what they think those words of the tzaddikim are meaning is the amount of secrets of the words of tzaddikim that there are. Because the words of the tzaddikim, the words of the yechide ahadoros, of the tzaddikim ma'amitim in our generation as well, each and every person has to see to it as if those words were written for nobody but us in the moment that we read them. As if that is the only purpose for those ideas or those words coming into existence. And in the beginning of Sipuri Maisios, when Rabbi Nachman finally towards the end of his life felt that the Torahs that he was teaching were no longer having the impact that he desired them to have, when it was no longer possible to convey to the Hasidim through the intellect, through the mind, what needed to be done, Rabbi Nachman decided to bypass the mind and speak directly towards the vulnerability and the emotionality of the heart, and he started telling tales. He started speaking in a narrative form as opposed to a didactic form of teaching. And the beginning of Sipuri Maisio starts off as follows. Anav Amar. Rabbi Nachman answered and he said, on the path, on the way, I have told a tale. I have expressed a narrative. Again, that path, as Rav Judah Michel Shlita points out so, so, so perfectly, right? It's, a, it's, it's, it's just an incredible book. I highly recommend buying Baderech from Rav Judah Michel, but Baderech, on that path, on that path of return, on that process towards growth, on that process out of the darkness into the light, the only way to handle it was through Siparti Maisa. Because when a person is on the path of tshuva, we have to be aware that we might get caught up in the failure and the sense of shame and guilt, which will bury us. That self-loathing, which leads us to destructive behaviors. And so the only way forward is Siparti Maisa. I re-narrated my life to myself. 
I told the tale to myself. I retold the story of my own life. I reinterpreted my past. Shekol Misha Hayashoma, that anybody who heard it, meaning me, when I hear myself reanimating my narrative, Hayalo hear her tshuva. I had a thought of tshuva. The entirety of Sipori Maisios, the secret of Sipori Maisios, is the capacity for a person to animate their lives as if it's an unfolding story, to look at my past and to look at my experiences and to realize that, yes, they were difficult. Yes, it was ugly. Yes, I would have done otherwise if I had chosen. But when I come down to the depths of it, I recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that this is the way that it had to be. Do I wish that the human suffering involved was different? Avada. Do I regret the pain that it brought to my loved ones, the pain that it brought to my neshama, the pain that it brought to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Avada? But in the end of the day, when the dust settles, things are what they are, and we need to be able to look back and realize that, Baderech, if you're on the path towards light, the only way forward, the only way to tolerate the suffocating pain that a person might experience when they're caught up in the shame of the past is through Siparti Maisa, to re-narrate my life. The tzaddik Rav Yitzchak Meyer Morgenstern Shlita told over in Ishalis Judas Russia in Parshas Noach and Tafshin Ayin Gimel something incredible with relationship to what we're talking about right now. And what the Rebbe points out is as follows: that Rabbeinu Hakadosh Rabbi Nachman revealed to us that prayer is not simply asking for things from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it be physical or spiritual, but rather there's a deeper element of prayer, which is referred to as hisbodudus, of talking to God privately out of our own howling solitude about everything that we're going through in each and every moment. And Rabbi Nachman taught us that we need to over our love, that I need to convey to everything that I am going through, as if I were talking to a friend. Because everything that a person experiences in this world as a human being is simply a story and a narrative that descends from Sipuri Maisios Meshanim Kadmonios that descends from the narrative that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had for us prior to the creation. Everything we live in our lives, the story of our lives, is ultimately rooted in the story that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had for us in those Shanim Kadmonios, in those ancient times. And each and every person has their own storybook about their lives, which is an entire Megillah. And therefore, naturally, everything that a person experiences is part and parcel of that person's individual Torah. And a person has to pray and speak to God about everything that they go through and to pray that we will understand. And the Rebbe doesn't say this, but the prayer is that we should understand that everything we experience in our lives is part of that unfolding narrative. That everything, everything, is part of that story. And we need to understand how the past and the struggle of our lives gave birth to where we're at in the present moment. The Sefer Yetzirah tells us that the world was created in three forms. Besefer, Besefer, Ubesipor. The book, the book, and the expression. Now the Vilna Gon, Shlusiyogan in his parish on Safra Ditsniusa, as well as his parish on Sefer Yetzirah, 
helps us understand what these three forms of the book actually mean for a person. And again, hold in mind that Sefer and Sipor really just mean narrative. That the individual in their lives and reality and its existence goes through three various stages. There's the Sefer, and then there's the Sefer. The book takes two stages. First, a book is written, and then a book is read. And a book being written and a book being read implies that the past and the future need to be in line with one another. That which was written in the past is that which is being read in the present moment or in the future moment. And on the level of the book, on the level of the text itself, there needs to be an alignment between a clear experience in the past and a clear experience and awareness of that past in the present moment. Those are the two stages of Sefer, Sefer and Sefer, the written book and the read book, and there, there has to be an equality between the two of them. But then there's a third level which comes afterwards is Sipur, the narrative, the telling of the tale. The storyteller shares his voice. And in that level of the tale, there's no two stages. There's no need for the past to align specifically with the future, but rather when I speak it, it's heard immediately. That in spite of the fact that if I look at my life as a book, the past and the present might not be aligned with one another. In the moment that I choose to speak differently about my life, in the moment that I attune my inner speech thought, my inner thought speech to reorient the things that I've been through in the past and allow me to understand how they have led me towards the future present moment in this moment itself, thereby, I, I thereby experience elevating the fallen past into the present. And that's only through the power of storytelling. That's only through the power of telling ourselves stories, of telling ourselves stories of ourselves. Sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim. Each and every person has to have that infinite Megillah of their own lives. And the most difficult and redemptive thing about being human is that we are the narrators. We are the ones who get to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu and get to tell ourselves what our story tells us. This is the Ikr Nakuda in Tshuva. Rav Tzadok HaKohen Meilablin, echoing his Rabbi the Meishiloach, in the 40th teaching in Sitka Satzadik, says as follows, that the essence of return is coming to a place where HaKadosh Baruch Hu has elevated the individual's mindset to such a point where my past failures become meritorious for me, meaning to say that I have come to recognize and understand that everything that I have fallen into in the past was also part and parcel of the Ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a retelling of the narrative. Anybody who reads the words of Rav Sadduk or the Meshiloach and sees it as permission to do what they want to do is totally misunderstanding or manipulating the words of those tzaddikim. The words are very clearly stated from a retrospective position. Retroactively, when I look back on the past, I am the one who is in charge of the narrative. I get to tell myself why those things have happened. Does it matter if they're true or not? No, they have happened anyway. What matters is they help me deal with the past in a healthy way. The single most unhealthy thing is shame. If there's a way of retelling ourselves a story that alleviates us from shame, that's a process in tshuva. That's a process of returning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's us writing our own story and retelling our narrative and reorienting ourselves to what has happened in the past. Rav Kook, Rav Cook, teaches us this explicitly in the sixth chapter of his book, Orus HaTshuva. Rav Kook was intoxicated with return. Rav Kook was intoxicated with the concept of recovery. 
everything was driven by the notion of recovery. The desire for a person to extricate themselves from a broken past into a redeemed future. And in describing the essence of tshuva, Rav Kook says as follows. The present moment, and this is a rough translation, the present moment of an individual's life, the volitional activity that an individual engages in through which their desire and their intention creates a permanent nature of what that action was. My actions and my awareness and judgment of those actions are not two separate things, but rather a chain that is deeply connected. That are never disconnected from one another. The action that I did and my awareness and the meaningfulness that I apply to that action are always connected to one another. The desire of the individual are connected to their past experiences. Even our past is not disconnected from our present awareness of how we relate to that past. We carry the burden of our past with us, which means that we carry the past into the present. And if the past is part of the present, since there's no inherent disconnection between the past action and the present thought, the desire which exists in the present, my consciousness which exists in the present moment, never loses its ability to imprint a new sense of meaning on those experiences that I have had in the past. And this is the secret of tshuva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created tshuva before he created the world, meaning to say he expanded the capacity of creativity within the spiritual soul in terms of its relationship with its past actions to the extent that my present focusness has the capacity of importing meaning on the past experience. That's the secret of narrative that the way I choose to see things in the present moment reinforms the past so that the past is brought alive and instead of being something that swallows me whole in shame is something that brings me closer to the desire that I have in the future. Beyond the positive elements of all of this, there is a certain element of deep responsibility of Ein Hadavar Talui Elabi. I can allow my story to be told by infinite amounts of individuals, but if I don't create my own narrative, I'm stuck in their narrative structure. I'm stuck in what they tell me about my past. It's only when I'm willing to gaze unflinchingly into the past, not be afraid of it, not try and rewrite it, but to re-elevate it and to come to realize that all of my struggles are what have brought me to where I am right now, that is the opening path of tshuva. Otherwise, we're swallowed up in shame and harata and all of the things that tell us that someone who has struggled is worse than someone who never struggles. But good news for us is that the Torah doesn't say that. It's specifically Yehuda who goes down into darkness. And it's specifically Yehuda who in the darkness begins to sow the seeds of Mashiach Tzidkenu. Rabbi Nassim of Nimerov, again, whose yard said it is tonight, would write to his son, Rav Yitzchak, very often in Alim Latrufa, 
that when Mashiach Tzidkenu comes, that when the Redeemer comes, when the redemption comes, Mashiach will sit down with each and every individual and explain to them the Megillah of their lives. Explain to them, just like Megillah's Esther, how every element of concealment and difficulty and past failure in our lives and struggle and mania and concealment were all a part and parcel of the narrative which brings us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That Sipur, that deep secret of our story with Hashem. Mashiach will come and reveal to us our own narrative. He will tell us why everything had to happen. He will reveal to us the capacity of writing our own story. But the light of the Baal Shem Tov is the ability to taste the secret of Mashiach before Mashiach even comes, which means that we're the ones who get to tell ourselves our own story. We're the ones who get to reanimate our experiences, not to deny them, God forbid, but to allow them to take part in the pleasure of growth. And in that way, we live our lives in tshuva. When we allow ourselves to hold the doors of the past open instead of shutting them closed in shame, we allow ourselves to unfold in the process of creating our own sipur, our own sefer of the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, our own sefer Torah, our own story. And Be'ezra Hashem, when we're able to do that, when we're able to reorient ourselves to what it means to be a person who struggles, what it means to be a person in recovering, what it means to benefit from the need to return, to thank Hashem that we didn't spend our whole lives in light, but to thank Hashem for the darkness we were thrown into so that we could appreciate the light even more, that's what it means to reanimate our story. That's what it means to not live with the safer or the safer, but to rather find ourselves in the seaport. And when we're capable of doing that, we can approach the future shirim and the concepts of recovering that we're going to talk about with a certain lightness of being, which understands that in spite of the difficulty, this is exactly how it is supposed to be. That when the dust falls, when I'm on the path, I began to tell narratives. That when I hear those narratives, then a person is finally capable of returning in tshuva. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.